It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey, Brewers fans, welcome to Brewers Unfiltered Season 2. It's like opening day of the new season of Brewers Unfiltered. I'm Sophia Minert. I'm a reporter for the team on Bally Sports Wisconsin and introducing two of the very best, <laughs> Mr. Adam McCalvey, MLB.com, and Mr. Tim Dillard, former Brewer, former Nashville Sound, current Brewers broadcaster. Guys, Good morning. Hi. How are we feeling? Yeah. Oh, we're feeling good. I feel uh, I feel great. I have a donut in me, Tim. Uh, Sophia brought yeah. donuts. So yeah, to Arizona, where <laughs> I am currently not sitting. They'll still be good. You get what? Uh, you get here this week. Uh, about a week. I think I'll be out there oh, in a week. week. But you know well, what? Uh, there's donuts in Nashville, so don't feel like you're the only person that could have access to donuts. We'll keep them in I a know fridge where some are. because uh, you can just dunk them in coffee and they'll still be good. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's opening day of the podcast. We had to have some treats to get us going. Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. So you know us well. Thank you. That's like in spring training, you get the donuts. Somebody would bring them in every morning. I guess it was Trevor Hoffman the years he was there and he would take a bite out of each one of them. I know we've covered that a bunch, but yeah. I don't think I've had a donut in spring training that didn't already have a bite taken out of it. Mine had no bites out of it. I had no a full bites donut. Take? Okay, yeah, yeah, it was a good start. <laughs> Well, Rock taught me a long time ago that the proper baseball term for donuts is actually sinkers, sinkers because you sink the donut in your coffee. And so that is the proper baseball term for a donut. Yeah. The we'll have to get him on to talk you, about that. Yeah. Well, when it, back when everybody threw a sinker, it was like you got to eat a sinker to throw a sinker. So you got it. Yeah. That's so you works. guys, I'm the only one who didn't know this. I learned something today. Thank, already, season two is off to a good start. I learned something. <laughs> We're off like a herd of turtles. <laughs> that That's going to be my best contribution of the day. But guys, it's <laughs> it's spring training. We're getting closer to opening day. We're, we're just over two weeks away now. And so we've, we've been at this for a couple of weeks now. And so just kind of overall, um, Adam, I'll, I'll start with you. Your favorite question of spring. Best shape of their life. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> that is my favorite annual topic. I did that as a story a couple of years ago, and I came up with the numerical rating system for the players to rate themselves on their shape, and came up with the uh, you know uh, average over camp. So I think I need to wait five years between doing that, or it gets too watered down. But Josh Limblum loved that and always talked about it. My best shape of his life is Freddie Peralta. I mean, Freddie is ready to like get in the ring and wrestle. I think. And Garrett Mitchell is probably on the position player side, the best shape of his life guy. So those are, those are the two for me, but Freddie like is pretty motivated. I think after last year and missing that time and spent the off season pretty dedicated to getting himself ready for this year. And seems like he is uh raring to go. So he gets my, uh, he gets my vote for best shape of his life. I'll, I'll jump in. I'll say that I'm going to agree with you on Garrett Mitchell. He, he came in looking just physically stronger, told me he put on between 10 to 15 pounds of muscle um, and just knew that in order to make it through a full major league season, which he hopes to do this year, 
after coming up and making his debut in the second half that he knows, you know, like you need to just be stronger. You need to be in better shape to get through the marathon that the Major League Baseball season is. Um, I'm also going to go with uh, co-award winners with Christian Yelich and Mike Brasso. They spent a lot of time training together, got into Pilates a couple times a week. And so Mike has shared just kind of how much that has helped him. And Mike's obviously off to a fantastic start at the plate. So those are those are my nominees for best shape of the life. Tim, you have to do this from afar. Yeah, I was like trying to look up pictures of everybody <laughs> <laughs> to see who looks you know more athletic than the year. But no, I I actually go by the players. You get you go by the players. And Brandon Woodruff, uh, when he was on the MLB Network thing, was saying that Freddie Peralta it just looks like I mean, like you said it. He's he's in midseason form right now, and he's going to be. Um, you know, kind of that dark horse guy, but you can just tell as a player, you walk into spring training, you have this idea, you haven't seen everybody in so many months and you walk in and then it's before you even talk to a guy, you're like, Whoa, like this guy, you can just tell the way he's walking, the way he's moving is in shape. Um, so you can tell, I'm going to trust the players on this. I think, I think Freddie Peralta's on pace to just kind of, you know, probably, probably be the guy that kind of leads the team out there. Honestly, I don't know if he's going to be opening opening day starter. I don't think that, but but I think he's going to be a guy that um, is going to surprise really early. He may be the innings guy at the end of April, have more innings than anybody else uh, than that in that Brewers staff. Tim, when you showed up to spring training, were you like in shape? Were you like ready, or did you use spring training to get in shape? <laughs> I know back in the day, spring training was you're supposed to yeah. show up, and that's how you got in shape. That's how Jeff Supon did it. <laughs> <laughs> he showed up and. Every year he's like, yeah, I'm not ready to throw yet. <laughs> um, no, I was, I never had the luxury to come in and kind of, you know, slowly get into it. I always showed up just as ready as I possibly could be. And, you know, for, for guys on the fringe like that, um, that don't know if they're going to have a spot on the roster and things like that, uh, opening day roster, that that's how you have to come in. If you come in and un- you're unprepared, um, guys can tell, coaches can tell, and they want to know who's the most ready day one, right when you play the first game? Well, I I do think the majority of the guys, all of them really, have shown up ready. And I think that is also just a reflection of how they finished last year. And coming, you know, it's you turn the page from last year. They've got a new opportunity in front of them. We know that the core is back. But Adam, in your first couple of weeks here, what's the general vibe you're getting from players and the expectations around the team last year, this year. Well, you, I think you just said it. The, the The word or the the theme of the start of this camp was sort of using whatever disappointment there was about the way last year ended as something that propels everyone into this year. And um, I, I think, Sophia, you shared on social media a cool picture of Council addressing, like, in his office of what we get to sit in every morning when we, we meet with Council and you shared that that was kind of his message to the club on that first full squad workout day was, um, you know, let's let's channel this into something good. And I think that if I had to pick one sort of theme of what this camp has been about and what we've heard from the players like Yelich, Woodruff, Burns, the leaders that were the, the guys who experienced the four-year run of being in the postseason and then what it felt like to miss last season – um, that's sort of the overarching sense I get from those guys. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you're, you're always motivated, uh, but I, you know, talking to all of them, you know, here in the interviews, you could tell they're disappointed with last year, but it is time to move on. 
And every, every spring training team, if there's one vibe that kind of goes around of every year of every team since, you know, however many decades is urgency. Mm -hmm. There's an urgency with players. Now, if you're a guy that you're, you're locked up for 20 years and you're, you know, at a position and (laughs) that's your position, you don't really have to do much, but there's a whole crop of guys that want somebody else's job. So there's always an overarching sense of urgency, I think. And probably this year more than any with the Brewers, just because of how, how good that young talent is, you know, about who's going to, you know, who's going to be out there. And if you, if you don't produce, maybe there's somebody behind you. So that's a, a good sense of urgency. I think that, um, you can probably tell even on the baseball field, watching some of these games, seeing guys take the extra base, the stolen bases, the diving catches. I mean, <laughs> sometimes you're, you're like, all right, let's pump the brakes. We don't need a guy diving into the wall, but some of these young guys don't care. They want to, they want a spot. Well, the other part of that I think is like, these guys are savvy about the whole, about baseball as a whole, the whole business and sport. And you talk about urgency. They, they know that this group has been together for a long time and they've had a lot of success and they haven't gotten to that place they want to be, the World Series. And they understand that there's like a window to do it with this group that is a couple more years. And I think that that adds to that sense of urgency too. I don't think anybody is like shying away from that. And no. the other thing about that being together part is I think this year, this has come up a couple of times in conversations with people. Like sometimes when things are right in front of you, you don't really, you, you take them for granted. And this group of pitching in particular, like there's not, a lot of examples around baseball of a group, particularly the starters that have been together as long as these guys have it, you know, they, they seem like young players still, and they are, but I mean, they, you're talking like a five-year run of having this core of guys that have figured this out, really established themselves as starting pitchers in the big leagues, fed off each other, competed with each other, gone to the playoffs together. That does not happen all the time. And, and that is something that's a little bit special about this group. And, and, you know, there's a window um, to, to do it as this group. And I think they, they really want to accomplish that. And I, I think you're totally right. I think it also goes back to their time together in the minor leagues. Yeah. And those personal relationships, of course, Chris Hook is a huge part of that. They've all been at this together for honestly 10 years Yeah. or more. You know, you think about Brandon Woodruff, he's going into his seventh season. With the Brewers, and to us, you know, it's he still feels like a relatively young player in his we're career. So old. Yes. <laughs> well, you just had a birthday, so you're yeah. older. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Okay, but sorry, you know, that's me. but that's been the message, you know, from Craig too. Is like this is a group that has gone through a lot together. They have experienced so much success, and his message to the team was like, you know, disappointment can motivate you more then the success can sometimes. He referenced Patrick Mahomes and some of the comments that he's made before. And also just that they do have this really unique group. This is no doubt the strength of their team. Um, This is how they're going to win games. And you've got a chance to do something really special together and to continue to to build off of that. Um, So I think they all recognize that of, of kind of what's in front of them turning the page. This is not a group that needs more motivation. And they've been on both sides of it. They know what it's like to feel the success. And they know that the margins are thin to be on the other side of it and win 86 games and have that still not be enough, right? Finish one game short. Like the margin of that is very thin. And so they've been on both sides of that. And I think, like you said, they're they're not hiding from that. So, um, you know, just the, the first couple weeks, I think, what are the things that like are jumping out at you that you're taking away that 
you know, as we're getting closer to opening day? For me, it's how much these guys love having Wade Miley back. That that <laughs> signing was a little under the radar. Like, I mean, it's not just Justin Verlander made huge news around Major League Baseball and Jake DeGrom and all that stuff. But I mean, the, the guys in the clubhouse love having Miley back. He brings sort of that, I don't know, that little Tim Dillard, uh, what do you call it? What, what Tim Dillard Beard. used to bring to the Bearded. bullpen. <laughs> Wade Miley is bringing to this rotation and he's keeping everybody really loose. I mean, there's so much fun stuff that, and like none of it we can write so far. We're trying to work on him to let him share some of the silly stuff he does. And he's like, no, no, no. But uh, he, he's been really fun. Those guys are pretty excited to have him back. And he just adds a little piece of depth that as we've seen with Aaron Ashby fighting through the shoulder thing, you know, they're going to need that throughout the year. So that's one thing that really stands out to me. That's different this year is his presence has been something um, a, a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, you have to have guys like that. It's, not, not to say that they don't, but you know, some of these dudes are very regimented. This is what I do. This is what I do. This is what I do. And it's hard to kind of get away and see the whole picture and have that perspective. A guy like Miley, it's been around forever and has that personality. That's That plays because baseball, especially in spring training, it's Groundhog Day. And every single day is the exact same thing. And if you don't like that movie, you're probably not going to like playing professional baseball. Um, and, and you have to break that up and you have to have a guy that comes in every day. And they have several of these that can come in and just high energy and or whatever it is like they can just think differently and have a great perspective that they can inflict on everybody else. That's what I tried to do, because I was like, man, every day in the clubhouse is awesome. Uh, but it can get lost because you're so focused on what you're doing and you're getting your work done. So uh, good for them. They, they, it's always good when uh, it's almost like the team was like, hey, let's go get this guy. You know, like you have guys fighting for you. Hey, we want to be teammates with this guy. That's kind of the the vibe I feel like uh, hearing those guys talk about it. And I think what's cool is like bringing Wade back from the 2018 team. There are still a handful of guys, you know, obviously here from that group and to hear his perspective, too, on what it was like watching them take those steps forward that year and get their feet wet. And now he comes back and look how much has changed. You know, I think hearing his perspective on that has been really cool, too, and how much he's continued to follow them. And obviously in his time with the Reds, you know, he got to see them. We got to see Wade more frequently so that and with the Cubs last year, too. So that part has been really fun. But I think, you know, we, we know the picture with the starting rotation. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's been some injuries here in camp. And we still haven't seen Aaron Ashby. He's recovering. Tyrone Taylor's injury came up with the right elbow and the PRP injection. So, um, you know, as we're getting closer to opening day and we're looking at what this team could look like in a couple of weeks when they open up at Wrigley, um, kind of what what are the things that you think are the biggest questions surrounding the roster right now? Do you want to go, Tim, on that? Ooh, I mean, you're you're right there in the thick of it. Uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll go. I, I think the toughest decisions for me just looking at it and watching these games every day is the outfield positions. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Like, who do you keep? Who do you not keep? And a lot of it has to do with, okay, they struggled last year. I'm not picking on the outfield, but the Brewers in general – uh, struggled against left-handed uh, starters, and so you start looking. Okay, well, you're gonna who are you gonna keep out there? You got Winker or Naquin or Bolt. You know, you start trying to figure out who's gonna fit where, and then it's like, well, here's here's Joey Weimer. You know, big right-handed dude that probably crushes left-handed pitching, and 
So then it's like, well, is it his time to, you know, do you trust him throwing him out there in the outfield? So I, to me, those are the biggest question marks. You look around the infield, that's pretty set. You look at the utility guys. Um, you look at the catching, obviously the pitching and stuff. The pitching's tough, though, when you start looking at bullpen because that's so – you could have a guy, you know, not feel well at the end of spring and, you know, hey, I got a sore shoulder. And that shakes up everything. So yep. pitching is always, I feel like, the last to come. But for me, the big question mark is outfield. Uh, what are they going to do? Yeah, you know, the bullpen is an easy one to pick because they they have some out-of-options players and just the, that the nature of bullpens, there's always decisions to make. But, like, Craig Council always tries to drill this in our minds. The, the, the roster on opening day is, like, literally often that one day, and then they're making a change for game two. So I think we do get hung up too much, and that's going to be especially true in the bullpen because they'll they will – they often teams just in general will often keep a player say that's out of options on a sort of short leash, see what they have early in the year. And then if it doesn't work out, make a decision. And you can think back to the last couple of Brewers teams. And there's plenty of examples of that players that broke with the club and then just didn't pan out because they needed a roster spot or it didn't work out. So, so I'm less interested in that. I am really interested. Tim kind of nailed it, how the outfield is going to shake out. So my big decision is not an outfielder, but it, it all is related because of the domino effect. For me, it's do you keep Luke Voigt, a guy who has tons of experience, a power hitter, a right-handed power hitter, a guy that can mash against lefties, as Tim says, but is a non-roster guy. So you would need to open up a 40-man spot for him, number one. Then he's really a, a first baseman and a designated hitter, number two. So... He'd have to fit in with Rowdy Telez. The DH we think is going to be Jesse Winker a lot early because he's coming back from the surgeries. So he's not going to play a lot of outfield early. So now you've got a really crowded picture between left field, DH, first base. And at the same time, you have, as Tim said, these sort of with Tyrone Taylor out, with Mitchell, We seems like he's going to be fine. But he's missed a couple of days with a hamstring. And he's going to need time. That's just the story of his career so far. He's going to need his days. So you need plenty of outfielders. So like I'm rambling because these are the kind of <laughs> tough decisions you have to make where the pieces are all like you move them around on the, on the table when you're working on the puzzle and you don't always see how they're going to fit and it changes how they fit. And it, it's, I think Luke Voigt is a really critical decision that's going to have a domino effect to everything else. And I think another really interesting player to watch will be one of the new additions is Brian Anderson is do you keep him, do you make a commitment to keep him in the infield, or is he going to be a true utility swing player that we might see him at third, and then we might see him in the outfield the next day, you know, depending on how they structure the lineup. And, and we know that Craig likes to change up the lineup every day. So I think he's an interesting one to watch, too, of how they manage him on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think it looks like he'll have to play some outfield because they're going to have a need early, and the hope is Tyrone Taylor is, what, sometime in May? Um, and he's a really useful player. If you look at his career, he's really, really good when you sort of put him in the right matchups. He can play all three spots, including center field, which is super important with the way this roster looks right now. And, and again, the, the toughest roster decision might be a guy that we don't even know about because it's someone from outside the organization. They can always go out and make a trade, sign a guy, and then it further throws everything into chaos. So I think there is a lot we don't know about what the opening day roster is going to look like. Well, I think I played against Brian Anderson when we were in AAA. He was in New Orleans with whoever it was, Marlins. And we played a series, and every day, several times a day, everybody would be like, why is this guy here? 
This guy is a big leaguer. Why is he in AAA? Get rid of him. He could hit to all fields. He was fast, and he had a sick glove at third. Now, I know he's had injuries, and so he's had a couple of down years, but if he's in the best shape of his life, <laughs> you know, if, yes. if he's, yeah, if he's healthy, I, I mean, he, for me, I don't know what, what he would say. Uh, he hasn't played an inning of outfield in spring training. So I, I don't even know if they want to even fool with that. If you put him at third base, he is a solid defender. And if he can hit and he can crush lefties or, you know, do well against lefties, I think you just stick him at third and leave him. Honestly, that's what I would do. There's nothing like a coach going up to a player and going, you're our guy here. And that's where you're going to play. The last thing you want to do is start seeding doubt. Hey, we may get you at first, you know. Oh, we bring your outfield glove too. You know, some players respond to that, some don't. So I don't know. I don't know him personally. I know he's hit several doubles off me. <laughs> um, I'm sure he remembers. Uh, but I just know that he's an exceptional player and he's an above average glove. So if he's ready to go, I would just stick him. At, I mean, that's just me personally. I just stick him at third and let him run with it. Gorman Thomas tells this great story about showing up to Sun City when the Brewers trained there in 1979, probably. And he's walking in the tunnel to find the clubhouse and he sees this old man sitting there outside the clubhouse door. And he says, you know, I don't know if he said old man, but it's a better story if he goes, oh, what are you doing here, old man? And the guy goes, I'm George Bamberger. I'm the manager and you're my center fielder. And no one had ever told Gorman Thomas that like this job is yours. You don't have to like play, you know, you don't have to fight for it. You're my guy. And Tom Gorman had a great run of years hitting home runs. <laughs> That's so good. I, I like how he says, hey, old man. I don't know if he actually said that, but. I can picture Gorman saying that. Well, I've heard enough Gorman stories to know that he kind of makes them up as he goes along too. So if I add, hey, old man, no, no one's going to call me on it. <laughs> He'll probably believe you on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're going to take a quick break from, uh, you know, playing opening day roster. We've got a lot more to talk about. A lot of great content coming up on the Brewers YouTube channels, talking about more players. It's been a different looking spring training with rule changes as well. So we got all that coming up. Stick around. Brewers Unfiltered. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back here on Brewers Unfiltered. Great to be back with Adam and Tim, and I'm the rookie on the podcast, so thanks, guys, for having me on. But... Great new content coming from the Brewers production team, and it's revolving around a group of players that fans are talking about, excited to see here in spring training. They are banging down the door to make their major league debuts, one of which we've already talked about, Garrett Mitchell. Saw him in the second half of last year, played in nearly 30 games for the Brewers last year. And then also, of course, Sal Freelich, Joey Weimer, Bryce Terang, Jackson Churio, and in this documentary series that the Brewers production team has been working on here at spring training, we're going to get to know these guys really well. And you're going to see their personalities. You're going to see them on the field. You're going to see them interact with each other. It's going to be great. So, Adam, you got a little sneak peek I of did. the series. What do you think? It's really cool. I mean, it is legitimately really super high-end, well-produced, really cool. I talked to the guys about 
going through this process. I mean, Gary Mitchell could sit in front and be interviewed for like four hours and love it. <laughs> the other guys are a little different. Maybe Sal's like that too. Um, the other guys, it's a little more out of their element, but they, I think I've really embraced the idea of like what Bryce Trang told me is he loves that it's a real effort to like get to know the guys, what they're about on and off the field. And this documentary really captures it. There's a poker game, I think, in a future episode that looks like it's fun. Um, it, it is, it's, a really, it's a really good look at these guys and sort of what it takes to get to the point where you're knocking on the door of the big leagues. So I think it's going to be something that, uh, that people really enjoy. And my favorite part was the, to see the different personalities on the screen is really interesting. Because that's what makes this group kind of cool. And maybe it was like that the same with like the Prince, Ricky Weeks, Ryan, uh, Ryan Braun was later, the J.J. Hardy, Corey Hart group, also kind of different personalities. But these guys seem like a little more distinct. And it's like a little reality show where you get these characters. So I, I think it's something people are really going to dig. I didn't know we were allowed to talk about it. I got, I got <laughs> sent that link. And they're like, whatever you do, don't talk about it. Now here we are. Uh, it, it's just really cool, uh, honestly. I think the favorite part, uh, the, of watching these guys was them talk about each other. Yeah. You know, like this guy, like, you know, Hey, he's, he, you know, he's always got something going on or this guy, you know, he kind of keeps himself, but you know, here's what he does. And you start seeing the ins and outs. Um, this is the stuff as a baseball player that you get to see every single day. You go to the clubhouse, you don't, you know, you take it for granted. I think it's amazing. The brewers are like, you know what, let's kind of drop that, you know, that curtain a little bit, kind of get a behind the scenes look because, uh, being in a clubhouse is amazing, but that's exactly what this episode that I watched and didn't tell anybody about until now. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. It was, it was, Hey, let's give you access to see how these guys really, uh, hang out and, and what they do and how they think. And, um, that's amazing. I, I, it looks really high end too. I, I was watching this going, Oh man, I wonder if they fired me for, they need money <laughs> to put this thing together. Uh, cause it, it is really cool. Well, Sophia's great in it too. We should say that. Oh yeah. Some cameos from Sophia. Uh, I, I like uh, Bryce Terang is the big Lebowski if he wasn't, well, not, wasn't lazy and loved baseball. That's what Bryce Terang is to me. He's like That's so chill. Funny. Maybe it's people are telling me I'm in. I'm he not. is so chill. You, yeah. He is. He's just so laid back. I, I agree. I think their personalities really get a chance to shine. And, you know, these are players that, you know, this is how the Brewers are going to have success, right? Drafting these players, bringing them through the system. You hope that they continue to take these next steps and they're going to get their opportunity with the major league team. And then you hope that they can stay there, right? And continue the success that they've had together in the minor league. So, like, when we look at this group, what do you think the expectations are for them? You know, they're here in camp. Craig always says it's it's eyes and ears for these guys, right? Whether you're here the first time, the second time, the third time, it's it's take it all in. And so what, what do you guys think about just the experience they're getting here and also the expectations for them this year? Well, Tim, you know, I, you should address this because you've been there in camp with like these highly touted hyped prospects, but like no, they don't know whether they're going to Milwaukee or AAA or, you know, maybe even AA for certain guys. Yeah, that's it's always a tough gig when you're kind of on that that level. I've never been that kind of hype prospect. <laughs> so thanks for pointing out that I was in the clubhouse with other guys. Uh, <laughs> but that's exactly what it is. You're, 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 you look at them and you know how much money is involved. You know what the expectations are that the organization is putting on them. And you want to see how they react. Because part of you is going, what would I do? What would I do if I was like, hey, uh, 
you're one of our guys and you're going to help do this thing for years to come. You know, you kind of walk in, are you skeptical? Are you, you know, unsure of yourself? But these guys have, have been through it. You go, you're a first rounder, you're a top prospect. Eventually you kind of get sick of it after a year or so. So these guys all handle themselves very well. And I love that they're just different kinds of ball players. Uh, but speed is the common theme. These guys yeah. are going to steal bases. They're going to take extra bases whenever they can. Uh, the excitement on the field. I know uh, Bryce Drang had a, a filthy play the other day against the Cubs. I think it was, or maybe it was at home. Um, it, it, I mean, they're just exciting players to watch. So somewhere along the way, the Brewers got together and said, okay, if some of these new rule changes are going to happen, we need a different kind of player. And that's what they did. They went and got just super athletes. And uh, Sal Freelich, he he just doesn't strike out. You know, he's a contact guy. That's what people are going to want to see in baseball anyway. That's why all these rule changes happened. But they want guys that aren't, aren't going to strike out a lot, but just put the ball in play and let their legs do the rest. So anyway, I just, I, I, I think with all the hype, I think it's real. And you almost hope that, you know, the Brewers keep them all. You know, who knows if they're going to be trade bait later on. I don't know if... <laughs> Like they need a guy at the, you know, at the uh, all-star break to get him over the hump. Maybe that's one of their pieces. Maybe that's one of their things, but I wouldn't, I would keep all these guys. They are, they're a talented club. Well, I, this is in the documentary. I, I can't remember if it's Tom Flanagan or uh, Eduardo Brizuela mm -hmm. from the player development department. When they get to Joey Weimer, it's really interesting. I, I think people will really enjoy watching them talk about Joey Weimer because I mean, all these guys have very high ceilings. I think Weimer is just so different as a baseball player. And, you know, his favorite player as a kid was Hunter Pence because he just looked different than everyone else, and so, so does Weimer. Look at his batting stance. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, he has never – I mean, you, some, you talk about a player sometimes shortening up with two strikes or whatever. There's no shortening up with Joey Weimer. He is trying to destroy a baseball every time he swings the bat. And the ceiling for him is, like, whew, like pretty special. Um but it just looks really different, and it's, it's again, we talked about kind of the differences of the personalities of the guys. It's also just different the way they're built, the, the, the way they look. It's all they're, – they're such different players, and um, Weimer is really impressive just when you stand next to him. And, and th that's a to me, was a cool part of the doc because I remember when you stand next to him for the first time and kind of see him, you think, oh, my God, like this is a gigantic human. Um, and it's funny that Tom Flanagan and Eduardo Brizuela felt the same way. They're big dudes. He's a presence, no doubt. And I think that that is what's really cool, too, is that they're playing in the outfield together. They all have different styles, different profiles, different skill sets, but they are just flat out athletes. And they're just fun to watch. They're just all really fun to watch. Um, and it's going to it's going to be fun to continue watching them here in camp and and hopefully in Milwaukee at some point as we get the season going. But this, it has been a different looking spring training for a couple of reasons, um, just in terms of the rule changes that we've seen put in place with, of course, the pitch clock, the shift restrictions, the bigger bases, the games feel different. They're certainly faster. We've all noticed that. Players are making their adjustments. Um, Adam, as you're covering these games, just kind of what's your takeaway of how these rules are affecting what we're seeing? Well, number one, I've learned that it's the pitch timer, technically, and I'm trying to be very diligent about calling it the pitch timer, even though your brain wants to say pitch clock and everybody, maybe because of the shot clock. I don't know. I don't even know why it matters, but this is one thing I'm trying to say to remind myself. Um, the pace of the game is great, and I'm lucky enough to have lots of friends that live down here in the Phoenix area, so 
I always get to go out to the auxiliary press box in the sixth or seventh inning, the grass berm, and catch up with people. And the feedback I get, I mean, this is maybe biased because it's people who bought a ticket to see the game, so they obviously like the game, is that I have not heard anybody complain about the pace. Um, I think the players are adapting. I think there's going to be certainly big moments when we get to the regular season where this becomes you know, an infraction happens in a big spot and everybody's just going to have to sort of deal with that. And that'll be very fascinating to see when and where that happens and who it goes for and who it goes against. Um, But it definitely is a quicker pace and there definitely is more action. And even the games that drag, you look up and it's like, okay, that was a two hour, 50 minute ball game. And it's just, um, it's been a good experience down here that I hope translates to the regular season. Yeah, I personally, I just think it's a lot of rule changes. Like, I don't know why they decided we're going to do all of these rule changes in one season. Like, there's no, and the young guys have actually, you know, that went through it in AAA have an advantage, especially the pitchers. I guess the hitters too, but just knowing how to navigate that because your natural instinct is is you have to fight against that. There was a quote by Eric Hosmer. He was like, he got called or almost got called for a late getting in the box just because he fouled the ball off, like just a deep fly ball and guys watch it. You know, they want to see, or maybe there's somebody in the stands. Maybe they, you know, might hit somebody, you know, or whatever. So there's a lot of like waiting around. Then it's like, oh, I got to get back in the box. Your natural instinct when you slide into second, you come up and you call time. Well, now if you call time, it's going to be like a, you know, it counts as a timeout for the hitter or something like that. You know, so I mean, there's there's all this weird stuff going on that I don't know. It looks good in spring training now because it's spring training. Spring training is kind of like, oh, well, these are some practice games and we're all getting ready for the season. When the season starts and something happens, people are going to get frustrated and mad. Well, look, <laughs> and, and, and you're, Tim, I think the, the, the point was like to do it down here. And the other thing is um, it's been interesting for us in the press boxes up here to because the timers are often like sitting right right by us you can hear the beep beep of the little what's the brand of scoreboard that uh i'm screwing this up is it is it is it sponsored by timex yeah or rolex yeah yeah. that's an ad waiting to happen (laughs) and then um you know like uh, often an umpire up there working with the timers to sort of it's an art for these timers it's a craig council has talked about this is a big job for whoever pushes that little button to say when the 15 seconds or 20 seconds starts because there's an art to it. And Tim, you mentioned the looking up at a, at a foul ball. That's a great example. The right fielder runs into the corner to, to pick up a ball that's ro- bouncing around into the corner that went foul. Yeah. The pitcher's on the mound, the hitter's in the box. When do you start the timer? There's an art to it that I think they are working through to figure out because the point is not to like, the point is to have more action in the game, to, to, to make the game better. Sure. It's not to put anyone in a bad spot where they're not ready. Um, so I think they're they're using these 30 games or whatever it is down here to kind of work through those things. And we've kind of got to witness some of it. And it's been pretty interesting. I think they should add five seconds to the nobody on base one. Um, just because I think it, it, it plays for most of the game, but you start getting later in the game. And if it moves too quick, you're going to lose some of the, some of the drama. drama, you know, some of the suspense, you know, the waiting around and you don't want to be like, all right, let's go out for the ninth inning. Oh, it's over. Oh, he stepped out, you know, like that. And then you start going, okay, well, we'll just do away with the timer, the seventh and eighth. It's like, well, now that's kind of weird, you know? So I, I don't know what the proper thing is, but it just seems like a lot. I don't mind the bases. I think first base can be bigger. That's okay. That'll keep people, you know, I'm a pitcher. I run over there. I've been stepped on a bunch. If I had a bigger base, maybe I wouldn't, but 
bigger base at second and third. I, I, sure, why not? I mean, not sure it's necessary, but you're going to obviously see more of that. But then you're limiting the pitcher and the batter being able to step out. <laughs> so that's just, to me, baseball was founded on like just being a gentleman's game. So I kind of wish the commissioner's office just got all the players together and just said, okay, can we all agree just to be a little bit quicker? <laughs> just just give <laughs> us a gentleman's accord. Everybody really walks work? up and they shake the hand of Manfred and tell them they don't enjoy the ghost runner and then just go on with their lives. You know, like we all wish that was the case, um, but here we are. But it's going to eventually... Heard... <laughs> what? I don't. Do you think that they don't like the ghost, the the uh, the runner on second? I don't know. I don't know. I think they like it. I think everyone likes it. I think it should be in the eleventh inning. I think that's the kind yeah. of consensus well, I've and look, heard and talked in to general friends. about all this stuff. I think that it is open to future changes based on yeah. what the experience is like. And I know in baseball, we often a lot of. And I'm putting myself in this camp too. You sometimes. Um, don't want things to change because this is a game we've all loved our whole lives and we want it to be man, like it was when we were kids. Old man yells at cloud. And you do, That's what I feel like do, with these rules. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you don't, I mean, but um, if you look at other sports that we love that are doing great, rules change all the time. Sure. And somehow in baseball, it hurts more to change the rules, but um, they are trying to make it better. And I think just my general take on if you just ask me, are these two weeks of spring training games, have they been better or worse than the spring training games last year? Better. A hundred percent better. I totally agree. And I think you're right. Like there are inevitably going to be situations that come up where we realize like, oh, we should make an adjustment there. This is something the league needs to consider. Um, Do games end on timing violations on a whether that's on the pitcher or the hitter of course some of those things are going to come up we haven't seen enough of it to know every scenario and how it's going to affect the games but Jeff Passan tweeted something a couple days ago on just the overall effect on these rule changes on the games that we've seen so far in the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League and so far the games across the board have been on average 25 minutes faster the stolen base attempts have gone up. The batting average of balls in play has gone up. It's led to a little bit more offense. So it's it's doing the things that they are intended to do. Um, and so that's been sort of the early feedback on the rules. And, and, and if anything, I think when we saw the World Baseball Classic exhibition games and, and the Brewers hosted Great Britain here and not having those oh, rules gosh, in place. night and day. I was so surprised at... For as much as we all in baseball are traditionalists, right? I was so surprised at how quickly we all appear to have adapted to the new rules, the new pace. And then when you took that away, and we'll get we'll talk about the WBC now too. But you know, taking that away in the WBC, it feels so different. Yeah, it is. And it's amazing. It's amazing to me how quickly everyone just makes the adjustment. And we've we've done that with other rules as well. So. That being said, WBC is going on, which is really fun, the World Baseball Classic. And the Brewers are very well represented. They've got 15 players participating. They're representing 10 different countries all across the world, right? Some of them have stayed close here in Phoenix, some in Miami, some in Taiwan. Um, It's been a lot of fun to watch. What do you guys think of the WB so far and and the Brewers' representation that they've got with, with all the players? Well, I think Sal has been fun. His video from Taiwan of uh, the the Team Italy fans that were lined up by their bus 
There's quite there's quite a Team Italy contingent out there. That was pretty cool. Um, I know some of the guys were, were glad to stay in town here, like for Rowdy and um, Abraham Toro with Canada and, and uh, Devin Williams. They just are sort of across town. Um, it, it's it's fun. I mean, like we we talk about the prospects. Sal Freelich loves doing this because on you know people might say, well, he's a guy that like has a chance to play in the big leagues this year. Shouldn't he be in big league camp? Impressing. The Brewers are impressed by him already. Like they know what what Sal can do based on what they saw last year and what they've already seen in the couple of spring training games that he's played. He gets to go there and play like great competition, super intense. He's got that Al Buff told me, I think we talked about this on the pod before, the hockey player mentality. This guy thrives on competing. So this is like the perfect venue for a guy like Sal to get ready for the season. Um, so I think for all of these players, it's going to benefit them to play in some high octane games and, um, you know, come back having gotten their work in they're still, they still get their work and, and come back and then get ready for a regular season. I, I think it's all positive as long as everybody stays healthy. That's, that's what everybody wants. Well, in the case with Freelick, it's like, well, how is he going to respond in big league situations? Now you don't have to wonder. He's yeah. been in some big games by doing this. And I did a little bit of research. I'm not done with it yet because... I only do it about five minutes of a time every week. So, but I did this in 2006, right? That was the first World Baseball Classic. Um, out of the 46 players that made the All Star team, the Major League All Star team that year in 2006, 21 of them played in the World Baseball Classic, position player wise. And the reason I bring that up is I think I have a theory that the guys that are position players that play in this thing um, do better. 11 of the 18 Silver Slugger Awards, 11 of those played in the World Baseball Classic in 2006. So I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to look at all the other ones, and, you know, 09 and so forth, what, 13 and 14, 17. So I, I think Brewers specifically having a bunch of guys in there, Rowdy Telez, Urias, Toro, Freelich, I think these guys are going to have great years. I think it coincides with that. And you, I, I could have nothing. This could be meaningless chatter, but I think there's a correlation. You're getting high octane at bats against good pitchers and in a meaningful game. And then all of a sudden, boom, here's the season. You feel more ready. And so I, I would look for some of those guys to have really big at bats. I love the world baseball classic. It's awesome. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. And I think just the competition level, the adrenaline, the environments, it's just, it's unique and it's, not something that can be replicated here in a, in a Cactus League game, right, at, at pick any stadium. It's just, I mean, you watch the, the USA and Mexico game, and it was played here Sunday night in Arizona, and it was cool to see, like, Rowdy and Luis on the field for Mexico. Devin got to come in and pitch for Team USA. and But the environment that it looked like at Chase Field, I mean, it just looked like the energy was through the roof well, my, for the entire game, and it wasn't even a close game. My other favorite thing about this, just – because all three of us know him is to see John Axford get in a game for Canada is like one of the coolest stories ever. And if, if this, if nothing, I remember nothing else from this tournament, it's that it got John Axford back on the mound one more time, which is just like the, the way his comeback here was the last one. It, it ended in such a, a bad way. And to, to see him back out there healthy was awesome. All right. Well, we will take a quick break. One more break. We'll rehydrate and then we'll come back to wrap it up here on Brewers Unfiltered. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back here on Brewers Unfiltered, guys, we've got rapid round. And we do mean rapid, no dwaddling, okay, Adam? (laughs) We mean a rapid round. Is that a word? We're going to start with, well, you made it up. (laughs) You're the journalist. (laughs) Which new brewer will have the biggest impact on the 2023 season. Tim, go first. I want to wait. Mine is, uh, I, w- I want Tim to go first. I'm going to say either Brian Anderson or Jesse Winker. Jesse Winker, mm-hmm. any anywhere close to his 2021 season, it. I mean, that, that'll be huge. But uh, Brian Anderson, for me, is, I, th- I think he's an exceptional player. I, I think he is going to do some amazing things with his glove and the bat. And uh, yeah, I hope he's the everyday third baseman moving forward. Great picks, and that's why I wanted Tim to go first because I knew he was going to drop like a big name. I'm going to steal those. And allow me to go in the back door with something off the beaten path. Javi Guerra Hmm. is my pick to click. Converted position player. Tim knows that uh, the best pitchers are converted position players, right, Tim? Amen. And opportunity because this bullpen looks totally different than it did last year. We know the Brewers' starting pitching is really good. You need a bullpen to close it down. They're going to you know, have to find guys to step up into really prominent roles. And I think Javi Guerra is a really interesting guy. He throws really hard. Um, he gets outs. He's young as a pitcher relative to his baseball career. And I just think he has a great chance to be really, to be this year's sort of under-the-radar reliever. And historically, there's always been that guy, right? And I love that you said that name because that is someone that I know Carlos Villanueva has spent a lot of time with on the development side, and they love the stuff that he has. So he could definitely have a big impact. And like you said, opportunity in the bullpen, that's going to far and away be the most fluid part of this team all season long. That's going to be a story for sure. My pick is going to be William Contreras. And for obvious reasons. Um, He's going to have a huge impact on this team, but I also think it's going to be really exciting to watch the short and the long-term development for him. Charlie Green, the catching longtime catching instructor here for the Brewers, Um, he's been promoted to director. He just has nothing but great things to say about William. He is strong as a bull, and he feels that he is the most athletic catcher they have ever had in the system. So, they love the physical skills that he has, and he's so young. He's only 25. Um, you give him, you know, here at spring training with with Charlie and with Walker and with Chris Hook, and he and Victor Caratini are like Siamese twins right now. Um, they are always together, working hard together. So I'm excited to see uh, William and his performance this year. Um, okay, favorite. Well, Tim, you can weigh in on this though too. Favorite spot to hang in Arizona. Yeah, Tim knows all the good yeah. spots down here. I've spent about four years of my life out there in Arizona <laughs> over my career. Um, well, I mean, now it's everywhere, but In-N-Out Burger is probably usually the first place I go to as soon as I land um, or drive into town. Um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of good watering holes. There's a couple of breweries that I hit up in Surprise. Um, but yeah, I'm going to say In-N-Out Burger, which I think Nashville's actually getting one, which is very strange. But anyway, that's my cliche answer because it's good. Yeah, that's a big one. There's certain in and outs right by the stadiums that sometimes we hit 
before we go cover games. Believe it. Uh, mine is uh, La Grande Orange. Breakfast, the best breakfast, lunch, whatever. There have been times where I literally, Tim talked about landing and going straight to In-N-Out. Where I, I had a flight once down here for spring training, and Gord Ash happened to be on my flight. So we, hey, hey, we get our luggage and we leave, get our rental car. And then I saw him at La Grande Orange. Like, we both drove directly there to get breakfast. <laughs> so I'm not the only one who really likes Did he pick place. up the tab, or did y'all eat uh, together? I missed out on that, I think. Uh, Too bad. He owes you. No, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> well, I will tell you that my first stop here, fresh from the oh, airport, the rental say. car. Yes. Adam already knows where I'm going with this. <laughs> the original Chop Shop. The best. It is. It was truly my first stop uh, when I landed here in Arizona. I love it. I know Adam loves it. It's great. You can do all three meals there if you want. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, healthy. Um, that's my favorite. And also Chelsea's Kitchen. The Chelsea's Kitchen is Chelsea's phenomenal. Kitchen is probably one of the best patios, at least here in the Phoenix area. So um, those are my two. That's good ones. You can get a uh, $17 juice at Original chop shop. Oh, just, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll go have lunch there after before we go to Goodyear. Okay. How about, um, you know, the Oscars were this weekend. The last great movie that you watched. Oh, I'll go first because mine was the big winner. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I thought it was, they had me at the hot dog fingers. It was a great movie. It was the weirdest, awesome, like super fun movie experience. Really? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I know all the hype. and I, Well, I don't have to go see it, do I? It's probably on my phone. Well, honestly, <laughs> that's what's interesting about that movie is what made it so huge is that it was all this word of mouth because the only way to see it in the at the beginning was to go see it at the movies. And it was like the experience of going with friends, going to this crazy thing, and then walking out of it, go, all looking at each other in the lobby of the movie theater and going, what in what the we world... Just- did we just watch? Yeah. It's kind of what propelled that movie to greatness. So I think you should go try to find it in a theater. That's how I felt with the matrix walked out of the matrix. I was like, what did, what just happened? Uh, but for me this year, uh, I, w- I was, I saw Top Gun Maverick. Um, I didn't see it in the theater, which I should have. And I'm sure it came back and I already missed it again, or maybe it's still out. I have no idea. I'll end up catching it in the theater. It'll come back a bunch. And I was late to it. I went to Brewers fantasy camp in January And so I downloaded it on my phone so I could watch it. And so I watched it and then I didn't have any internet connection for a long time and uh, ended up watching it again on a flight because I had to fly right back from Arizona (laughs) because my daughter broke her tibia at a gymnastics competition. So that's the only movie I had on my phone. So I watched it again and then I flew back to fantasy camp (laughs) for the last three days. So anyway, I watched Maverick Top Gun uh, about six times in about four days. And <laughs> I just, I, and when I watch it, I just, I critiquing every single thing. And it is a amazing film. I mean, I love Top Gun, the first one. It kind of got, you felt like it was a little cheesy after a while. It kind of, you know, people look back on it that way, but it is just so good. It's just so good. It's well-rounded, the music, the tempo, the editing, the acting. Um, it, it was, it's, it's good. Watch, go watch that movie if you haven't. Well, I, I, have it, I have it on my I phone. Agree. I have it on my I phone. I want to gather around my phone. <laughs> still downloaded on there. Um, well, I'm only sad, Tim, that you didn't get the experience of watching Top Gun Maverick in the movie theater oh, because it was incredible. And I loved the movie as well. And actually, I have a funny story about this. So 
when the movie came out, uh, the team was in St. Louis, Y'all and That's right. Dave Yeager, longtime athletic trainer for the Brewers, huge is a movie guy. huge, and I mean huge movie buff, right? Yeah. Top Gun is at the very top of his list, so we did sort of it. We had somehow had a day game on the weekend, and so we put together a little uh, team viewing party and Ubered our way over to the movie theater after the game, and. Jason Schauger and Dave Yeager went in full Top Gun flight suits <laughs> for the movie. It was incredible. And we all, we all just, it was, we had the best time, like just taking it all in, getting the movie theater experience again. I wanted to like stand up and clap after the end of the movie. Oh, I just loved I, it. It was so great. The theater I was in, people did clap. It's like, yeah. like it used to be when you saw a great movie and everyone I mean, it's like, it reminds me of being on a plane. Remember when people used to clap when the plane would land? What, yeah. Why did we do that back in the day? No, that terrible. still happens. I was clapping on the terrible. plane. I got done watching it on my phone and I was clapping. People are like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> he must have just watched Top Gun for the first time. Um, yeah. So I will say I, I absolutely loved the movie theater experience of Top Gun. My last quick one would be. I want to dance with somebody. The Whitney Houston movie. Oh, I never. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I I really loved that, but I I'm a huge Whitney Houston fan. I'm obsessed with her. Love her music. So that was mine. Um, my last movie theater experience. Yeah, okay. We, we actually for that movie, the Whitney Houston one, the uh, where I work out here. My wife and I we work out at a facility here in Nashville, and where I worked out for like 15 years of my career. Anyway, a, a, a lady that works up there or works workouts up there, uh, she was in that movie. She plays like the manager in that oh, wow. movie. Yeah. Crazy. That's cool. That's amazing. So, yeah, we support that film as well. <laughs> um, okay. Last one to wrap it all up. Your stat of the week. I had one, but I'm going to save it for we have more shows before opening day. So I'm going to save that one. And I'm going to say my stat of the week of the moment is... What, how do you even say this number? One one thirteen thirty three. Mike Brasso's slugging percentage. Oh, how do you say it when it's play. over a thousand? Yeah. Tim, did I just steal yours? Well, I, was, I wrote it down. It's his OPS is one thousand eight hundred fifty nine. So yeah. I just thought that was relevant. For anyway, stat. Mike Brasso has hit four homers this spring, and you know we always use that term just spring training, but there's a big opportunity for Mike Brasso. A guy who hits lefties, I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot this year, um, to play a big role for this club, and he's he's hitting uh, really well down here in Arizona. So he's my spotlight guy. Yeah, he just needs at bats. Like he just needs get him out there. You know, get him out to find a place for him every day. He'll he'll put up some numbers for sure. I like his swing. Uh, all right, well, since you took my stat, um, <laughs> we're up to a good start well, stealing stats. Yeah. Number one, well, you have to bring that up. Four homer. He has six extra base hits. His only he has six hits, all extra base hits. Um, I'll bring this one up because I was I've been doing research on some of you know the the guys on the team just because I'm trying to be good at my job. <laughs> and I got to Wikipedia with Bryce Terang, and there's a note on there that says his junior year of high school, 2017. He batted 465, which, I mean, a lot of the guys uh, that play professional baseball probably batted four to five to 600 in high school, which is not a big deal in that regard. But he only struck out one time in 101 at-bats. Struck out one time. Wow. I don't care what level you are playing of baseball. If you can go up there and just not strike out, like if you can just make contact, that means he's hitting pitches that are out of the zone. He's hitting them well. That right there, the contact percentage is through the roof. Um, to me, that's impressive. 
That that is wow. That's a deep stab. I'm blown right away. I'm, I'm, that's it, a deep dig. That's a deep dig right there. I want to go ask week. Bryce about that now. It didn't happen this week though. <laughs> okay, so well my stat has nothing to do with baseball. Oh. Um, however, has to do with a baseball player and probably the most athletic person in this camp, and that number is five hundred and forty nine thousand views and counting for the Eddie Alvarez video. <laughs> Of him rollerblading in the Brewers Clubhouse. That was awesome. That was awesome. Um, if you have not seen it, go to the Brewers social channels, Instagram, Twitter, and watch Eddie Alvarez come out and surprise the team in a team meeting in more or less a speed skating uniform. You can go watch the video to find out what he's wearing to take <laughs> his two laps around the clubhouse. Um, nearly wiped out, Craig Council told us, on the first yeah. lap, so thank God he didn't get hurt. But Eddie Alvarez, he's just such a great story. Um, this video blew up of him rollerblading in reference to his speed skating background as a former Olympian in both speed skating and baseball. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my stat. Uh, when you say more or less a speed skating outfit, you mean less? <laughs> um, it was less. I was the say it was it's less. less. <laughs> and there's a story about Eddie Alvarez. I don't know if you teed me up on purpose on Brewers.com that <sighs> explains his story and how in the world. A kid from South Florida, A, gets to the Olympics in the first place in ice skating, speed skating, and how he had to juggle and yo-yo back and forth, and then how he came to also win a silver in baseball. So it's a super cool story, and of course, because the Pettit Center is in Milwaukee, the home of ice skating in the United States, he has tons of ties to Milwaukee. So him and talk, spoke to his mom, too. They're both really excited about the chance to get back to Milwaukee and revisit some of the haunts from he when he was like, you know, 12 years old. It is such a cool story. I mean, we we are suckers for good stories, and Eddie Alvarez's is probably at the top um, of all the spring stories that we don't even know yet. But his his story is great, and I I hope he can come to Milwaukee and revisit you know his speed skating life in Milwaukee too. I think it'll just be really cool. So, guys, I think solid first episode for us in the books here, season two. Woo. Ooh, we still got it. it. Yeah. Still got it. Well, thanks so much for listening and for joining us. Tim Dillard, you can follow him at Dim Tillard. Adam McKelvey, of course, always great content from him. Twitter, Instagram, at Adam McKelvey. And um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as well with my full name. So thank you so much for following us. Uh, good first episode. We got more to come. This is going to be a great season two of Brewers Unfiltered. Tim, get down here. We miss you. I'm clapping. The plane has landed, so (laughs) (laughs) got to clap. Yay! Great job. On that note, Tim, thanks for clapping for us. (laughs) 